Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hey everyone, Josh here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Have you been to our website, fearscapepodcast.com? There you can check out our store with all of our awesome t-shirts, check out guests that have been on the show, listen to the podcast directly on the website, even donate and help us bring you awesome content. Please consider supporting us. Fearscapepodcast.com Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at fearscapemedia.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special bonus episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. This is Stefan, one of your hosts from Fearscape, and we are getting close to the 100th episode of our show. And to celebrate, we are premiering a series of episodes called The Road to 100, Days Gone By, where we let you listen to episodes from Fearscape Past, from our old radio show, Fearscape FM, and more. And there may even be a few surprises, things that have never even been heard before. We hope you enjoy this archived episode of Fearscape. And remember, hold those blankets extra tight. The following program is presented for entertainment purposes. WCHQ does not necessarily endorse the ideas presented. Fearscape is a program that explores the legends and lore around many creepy and scary things. Information is researched and presented in an entertainment fashion and is presented based off of what we found. Legends have a way of changing over time, so... gentlemen to fearscape here on wchq 100.9 fm and the destination nation network and your ears and your ears my name is stefan gearhart and i'm joined by my fabulous co-host as usual mr brad mcquery oh hi guys i'm back again back from sunny florida sunny florida and uh, i'm just back from knee surgery so yeah you looking you're looking good your knees looking slim yeah i uh got acl uh uh, replaced as well as some mm-hmm. other ligaments uh, repaired, and so I'm on the mend. And boy, oh boy, have I had some creepy catch up because of the surgery. <laughs> uh, didn't you get a cadaver? 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 Yeah, I have. I have cadaver. a cadaver's ACL, cadaver ACL in my knee, so I have a haunted knee. Cool. Uh, so that's cool. But yeah, we're going to be discussing. Uh, th- uh, it's actually part one of a two part series that we're going to do discussing the amityville house we'll just call it that yeah essentially that's what it really is about because we all know about the amityville horror right but that's just one part of it yeah we want to talk about the prequel as well um today (laughs) today our main focus is going to be the defeo murders yes which which, were messed up man yeah and i you you have the research in front of you there's several pages here 
And this is like a tip of the iceberg because there's also some conspiracies Ooh. that I didn't even bother putting down because I'm, there wasn't too much deep into them, mm-hmm. but it's enough to discuss. So I'll bring those up at some point. Cool. Well, let's, this discussion. let's move right into creepy catch up so we can get the show on the road. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Y'all, it's creepy. Okay, so uh, as as I just said, I've had surgery. So I have been sleeping on my back for close to two weeks. Which we all know is uh, a prime prey position, prime prey position for the night hags. And yes, yeah, so the one I want to share with you the most was uh, probably three nights after my surgery. It was actually the first night I slept on the bed because uh, I got what's called a nerve blocker. And yeah. so basically like when you get done with a dentist getting surgery, how your lips and mouth feel, that oh, was yeah. my entire right leg. That's the best time to eat hot food. And so it was this just jelly. And I actually ended up falling and sprained my ankle and messed up a whole bunch of stuff. It was just, it was really difficult. It All was, right, Mick Foley, calm had down. had a really, really <laughs> tough time with this. Uh, but anyways... Um, because of that, I couldn't stand up. It was hard for me to get off the couch. The couch was so low. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I ended up sleeping on the couch for the first three nights until Paul was able to kind of help me get up. And he literally picked me up and got me to where I could get on the crutches. So I went and slept in the bed. Now on our bed, we have one of those beds that kind of recline and, yeah. and, and move your legs. So it was perfect for me to sleep because my legs could be up in the air because I have to keep them elevated. Not going to lie. I zoned out for half a second <laughs> and I was like, okay, you fell. And then I heard few days, Paul, I'm like, it took Paul three days to get you out of the garden. <laughs> it did. Jeez. It did. Uh, but anyway, so I'm then there. And uh, so my legs up really high, which is kind mm-hmm. of really where they want you to have it. Yeah, and, good uh, for circulation. Yeah, and so that's how I sleep. And Sarah's not sleeping like that, so she's out on the couch now. But anyways, I wake up, classic, can't move. Oh yeah, baby, here we and go. And I look up, I can hear the ceiling fan, Welcome and then I hell. and I feel like not feel, excuse me, but I hear this like. Kind of like, like, like a noise, but a whole yeah. bunch. And I look down at my <laughs> knee, and there's these like tiny black creatures. Uh, gosh, they had to be the size of Dobby from Harry Potter. Oh, they're just trying to help. Um, but they looked like they would normally look the the night hags, those yeah. things with the red eyes, the longish hair. Like you can't see anything but the eyes, and they're all just like poking and prodding at my knee. <laughs> <laughs> and all kinds of stuff, and I can't move, and I wouldn't be able to move my leg anyways. It was still completely uh-huh. numb at that point, but I'm freaking out because I'm already <laughs> scared because of my knee. And then I see these creatures who all turn and look at me at the same time, and I hear this, like, laughter, but it was, like, gargled. So it was, like, <laughs> like, but in, like, unison. It was really <laughs> creepy, man. And there was nothing I could do. I couldn't get out of it. And this, like, I swear I was there for ten minutes just watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, just poke and prod at my knee and lift up my bandage and look underneath and like and Jeez. all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And uh, I just kind of closed my eyes so that I didn't have to look at it and yeah. just somehow found my way back to sleep. Did you were you feeling any pain while they were doing that? No, because my leg was numb. Oh, so the nerve blocker. Was yeah, still the in nerve effect. blocker was still in effect, so uh, I couldn't feel anything. And I think, and let's say it was a dream. Even my brain mm. was like, "No, you're not supposed to feel anything here." Hmm. Um, so no, I felt nothing. Mm. Um, Maybe it was an illusion of what you're supposed to be feeling. Maybe it's like your subconscious trying to tell you you're supposed to be feeling pain right now. 
does this hurt as your subconscious uh, yeah, maybe is poking your knee? I don't. This wasn't really creepy catch up because I thought it was kind of funny, but it's like uh, a couple days ago from here at this point, a few days ago, I had a dream that I lost my leg and not oh, like nice. I lost it in the war. Uh-huh. No, I lost it. I couldn't find it. And I was like, uh, has anybody seen my leg? Like, and it was this hilarious thing because I think Paul and Sarah in my dream were hiding it from me. Uh, last time I had it was at the disco and yeah. now I can't find it. <laughs> and so that's exactly what it was like for me. It was just this very... Where is my leg? (laughs) So, yeah, I've had some weird dreams, and I've got another one, but I'll save it for next episode unless something else comes along. Uh, Hate cliffhangers. Yep, yep. It's better than a hangnail. Yeah, that's true. So, do you got any creepy ketchup? Uh, no, not really. Just got back from from Florida, and the only thing creepy there is our heat index was like 128 a couple days. Well, that and Floridians. Floridians. Yeah. Um, you know the place we were at seemed pretty normal. It's when you went outside of the small town they were in that you were like, that <laughs> looks like. But you're going to say, it's only when you stepped outside of your condo when your you condo. <laughs> and you go, we went to one of the malls and it was like deserted except for like this one guy I saw. And I'm like, ah, he's the poster child for quote unquote Florida man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be near Florida him. Man. <laughs> Florida man. All right. Well, then that was Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup! Creepy Ketchup! Y'all, it's creepy. Cool, yeah, so I guess it's been a pretty couple interesting weeks for the both of us, man. I'm glad you enjoyed your vacay. I learned how to fish. Yep, uh, you, yeah, that's right. Your new name is Catfish. Yeah, Catfish so, Bread. Yep, Catfish Bread. Oh, Catfish Bread! That's funny because years ago... Uh, we used to do karaoke, and we used to make up names. Uh-huh. That's what we used to do. And my uh, karaoke name was Catfish Davis. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I'm calling. Uh, I'm going to have my lawyers on this. You will be getting a cease and desist. Oh, okay. okay. But I'm going to send it to the past. Okay. Yeah, I was about to from say. my future self. About to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, my yeah, friend David, his was machine. Parliament Jones. Come on, did you even try? <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyways, uh, yeah, I know you said you've got some cool spooky news. So, oh man, this let's let's go on and get straight into spooky news. This thing. Over two hundred thousand UFO fans plan to storm Area Fifty One to find extraterrestrials. Wait. So they're going to storm Area 51. We don't <laughs> know where it is. Oh, we, we know its coordinates. Yeah, but I feel like that's the old Area It's 51. just north of Area 52. <laughs> <laughs> or south. Or south. It's but I'm like, I area. feel like, before you even get into the story, I feel like the government, uh, uh, then them announcing it yeah. also. Um, it's like, oh, okay, go for it, buddy. Yeah, okay, whatever. Well, here's the thing. We've, we've known for a long time the location of Area 51. All you need to do is just go into the Nevada desert and poke around until you see people with rifles say, no, no, not this direction. Yeah, no, it's no, like, no. oh, Area 51's that way. Yep. Got it, so don't go that way. Yep. And then also with, like, Bob Lazar and other individuals who have come forward. Now, mm-hmm. Bob Lazar never worked at Area 51. Yeah, he worked at another site. Yeah, he worked off a sub base, but... It was connected to Area 51, so he's aware of the location. Mm-hmm. He took friends there to look at stuff, and you know his his story is awesome. By the way, it is. You get a uh, chance. Uh, Netflix has yeah. their documentary, the now. Bob Lazar doc. Check yeah. it out. It's it's. <laughs> but this Ooh. episode is not about him. No, tell us this news story. I'm sorry, I got distracted. So, I saw this first on Facebook maybe three or four weeks ago. A uh, Facebook friend had checked into going to. They can't stop us all 
invading Area 51. And I was like, no, 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 guys. They can stop you all. And I'll tell you why here in a second, but let me just read this article. Mm-mm. And this comes from Disclosed.tv, one of our favorite little mm-hmm. spooky ooky. Is it is it a real story? Is it not a real story? Type thing. They're just fun stories. You decide. You decide, really. And this one, as it is an actual event on Facebook, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty legit. So, Area 51 is the popular location for many extraterrestrial sci-fi movies and TV shows. But it's where some people believe the U.S. government houses alien technology in a secret military base. Over 220,000 people have planned to storm this infamous area in Nevada in an attempt to prove that it does, in fact, house extraterrestrial items. The plan, which was titled Storm Area 51, they can't stop us all, was first created on Facebook in a private group. The charging fans have set September 20th this year as the day of the attack. It is believed to start at 3 a.m. Okay, so break away from this real quick. Don't call it an attack. That's when they're going to get their experimental weapons out and be like, well, we've been looking to use these. They're just going to stand out there and flash. Everybody's going to forget what they're running from. Yeah, exactly. So everyone is meeting up at the Area 51 Alien Center. This isn't just a few crazed fans either. The plan has actually attracted thousands of people claiming they will attend. After all, it is still an active military base and angrily charging onto it could have detrimental consequences. Well, yeah. And here is a tweet from George Knapp regarding this. George Knapp tweets, This plan has been proposed multiple times over the last 30 years. Then, as now, it's a really bad idea. There are no aliens at Area 51. No alien tech either. Base security is more than capable of handling Winnebago trespassers. Arrests will make for a heck of a story, though. I don't know if that's George Knapp's voice. But uh, I do agree with him that there are no aliens or alien technology at Area 51 because, let's be real, it's so public now what Area 51 right, is. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like, probably at, like, a Louisville International now. Oh, I know. Well, I have excuse me, Muhammad Ali. Uh, uh, it hasn't officially switched, though. I yeah, it did. The sign is not up. It the switched. Si- the it's sign sw- is not up, Stefan. It switched. The sign is not up. It switched. Uh, no, uh, yeah, they're probably, like, just in there, like, creating, like, an ice cream that doesn't melt. Yeah, and I mean, there's 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 more to the story, uh, but really the rest of the story is just the history of Area 51. Which, if you really want to know it, go Google it. Yeah, or just it's wait for there. us to do an episode. Yeah, on or it. just wait for us to do an episode. I just finished a book on it, and uh, whoo, it's 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 a fun place. But here's the thing: Area 51 is a place where they develop experimental technology, mm-hmm. and one of the little experimental technologies that they have been developing over the years is a subsonic cannon which can cause diarrhea, convulsive <laughs> vomiting, <laughs> and migraines. So 220,000 people all of a sudden are just going to paint the desert browner than it already was. <laughs> because Area 51 going to be set up with this freaking cannon, and it's just going to make them all poop themselves. And I'll be like, I guess we shouldn't have went to Area 51 then. As much as I don't want to smell it, I would love to watch <laughs> 200,000 people poop themselves at the same time. If, it, if anybody listening to this right now is planning on invading Area 51. First of all, don't. Second of all, don't. And third of all, if you do, like, live stream it. Because yeah, I, I want to uh, see if you get hit with the poop Fourth cans. of all, where depends. Where depends. <laughs> if you really want to get some proof. But even Bob Lazar said that he, you know, he, some, he saw some stuff at his sub base he was at. Mm-hmm. But Area 51 itself, he'd never really heard or saw anything from there. So, well, so, yeah, thank you that. for that, for our spooky news. 
All righty. I'm super pumped. I am a huge, huge fan of Amityville. Uh, I read the book years ago on the Amityville horror, mm-hmm. um, as well as, of course, watched all the movies and things like that. I've been obsessed with this case for a very long time, and you have been obsessed with the DeFeo portion of this. I wouldn't call it obsessed. Well, I mean, since Just we've been friends, I know that's the <laughs> rabbit hole you found yourself down quite a bit, was the DeFeo portion. And so I'm excited to hear a lot, because I, of course, have focused more on the horror par- portion with the Lutz family, but I'm excited, so let's... Let's move right along. Alrighty. So I would like to cite our main source for this research. It actually comes from a website called AmityvilleMurders.com. This website's really cool. They have a, uh, a lot of files from the original case. Uh, they have screenshots and photos. It's really cool for the DeFeo murder. It has a map that breaks down like how the murders happen, where they happen, stuff like that. Wow. Uh, so if you guys want to dive into it yourself uh, after hearing this episode, it's AmityvilleMurders.com. Dot com. There's there's some stuff on there that I didn't put into this because I'm like, it's this is radio. We, we, we're not allowed to say those things. Yeah, what's interesting here is, uh, you know, the Amityville horror with the Lutz so mm-hmm. overshadowed this, like, horrendous murder. And then this murder, yeah, like you said, horrendous. It's crazy. I mean, I think if the Amityville horror stuff had not happened, I think we would still be looking at this like we do mm-hmm. a lot of other true crime stuff yeah. and this gets overlooked a lot because of that yeah. i think and we'll we'll uh we'll talk about my beliefs on the Amityville horror in part 2 but uh just just a little like foreshadowing truth is stranger than fiction amen that's a fact so let's go ahead and dive into the Fayo murders so on november 13th 1974 patrons of Amityville sat around drinking at Henry's bar just blocks from 112 Ocean Avenue, better known to locals as High Hopes. Because, you know, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You guys hunted it down, didn't you? Yeah, you we, to New York? when uh, Ben, my friend Ben and I, co-host of Unhappy Campers with me, uh, his uncle lives out in Long Island. Mm-hmm. And so it's not too far from Amityville. And so he took us out there to, yeah. to 112. And, of course, like I'm like, where is it? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they moved it. No, they didn't really move it. It's just that they completely remodeled it, yeah, so that's it looks it nothing. It. They took those them. windows out, everything, and so. But I, I was there. I saw it, and uh, yeah, it was not great. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and that's it for the episode, guys. We will see you next <laughs> week. Bye, night, blanket folks. huggers. <laughs> so at six thirty p.m., Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. swung open the door of the bar and shouted, "Please, you've got to help me." I think my mother and father are shot. The young man falls to his knees and begins weeping, surrounded by his startled friends. Butch's best friend, Robert Bobby Kelsky, along with Joey Yeswit, John Alatieri, Al Saxton, and William Scrodemaglia. Ooh, those are some Italian names. Oh, yeah, we're in the Northeast, yes. <laughs> raced back to 112 Ocean Avenue, driving Butch's 1970 Buick Electra 225. Upon arriving, the men found the front door unlocked. Inside, the house was dark and still. Shaggy, the DeFeo's sheepdog. Oh, wait, so Shaggy's the name of the dog? I think yeah. that's reversed. <laughs> <laughs> and the younger brother's name was Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> His dog, Shaggy. Began barking as the men entered. The dog was tied up to the inside of the kitchen's back door. Oh, no. Yeah. Bobby Kelsky led the group of men up the staircase to the master bedroom on the left. Switching on the light, 
the men were met with a horrific scene. The lifeless bodies of Ronald DeFeo Sr., age 43, and his wife, Luis DeFeo, age 42, lay sprawled out on their bed. A bullet hole and a dried stream of blood were visible on Ronald's back. Luis's body was buried underneath a blanket. Soon after, the men discovered the bodies of the DeFeo children. Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew, all seemingly shot in their beds while slumbering. That's horrible. Yeah. Now, while they were at the home discovering the gruesome scene, uh, one of the bar patrons by the name of Yeswit, uh, he actually made a call to the police, and I was able to get the transcript uh, of the call itself. Suffolk County Police, may I help you? Huh? This is Suffolk County Police. May I help you? Uh, we have a shooting here. Uh, DeFeo. Sir, what is your name? Joe Yeswit. Can you spell it? Uh, yeah. Y-E-S-W-I-T. Y-E-S-W... Huh? Y-E-S-W-I-T. W-I-T. And your phone number? I don't even know if it's here. There's, uh, I, I, I don't have a phone number here. Okay, where are you calling from? Uh, it's in Amityville. Uh, call up the Amityville police and it's right off of uh, uh, Ocean Avenue in Amityville. Austin? Ocean Avenue. What? What, what the... Ocean... Avenue, off of where? Uh, it's uh, right off of Merrick Road, uh, Ocean Avenue. Merrick Road, what's uh, what's the problem, sir? It's a shooting. There's a shooting. Anybody hurt? Huh? Anybody hurt? Yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, everybody's dead. What do you mean everybody's dead? I don't know what happened. Kid, come running into the bar. He says everybody in the family was killed, and we came down here. Hold on a sec, sir. At this point, the police officer now uh, takes over the call. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Uh, my name is Joe Yeswit. George Edwards? Joe Yeswit. How do you spell it? Oh, I just, how many times do I have to tell you? Y-E-S-W-I-T. I'm on Ocean Avenue. What number? I don't have a number here. There's no number on the phone. What number on the house? I don't even know that. Where are you at? Ocean Avenue and what? In Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and have someone come on down here. They know the family. Amityville. Yeah, Amityville. Okay, now, tell me what's wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Guy come running in the bar. Guy come running in the bar and said there, uh, uh, his mother and father are shot. So we ran down to his house, and everybody in the house is shot. And I don't know how long, you know, so, um, uh. Uh, what's, what's the ad, uh, what, what's the address of the house? Ah, jeez, hold on. Let me go look up the number. All right, all right, hold on. Hello? Hello? Yes. Hello? Yes. Uh, it's 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. One what? 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. Is that uh, Amityville or North Amityville? Amityville, right on South um, South America Road. Is it right in the village limits? No, it's, uh, uh, you know where the high school is? Yeah. It's in the village limits, yeah. Yeah, that's the village limits, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't even have one. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no number on the phone here. Alright, uh, that's where you're calling from? Public phone? No, I'm calling right from the house because I don't see a number on the phone. You're at the house itself? Yeah! How many bodies are there? Oh, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I think they said like four. There's four? Yeah! Alright, you say right at the house. I'll call the Amityville Village PD and, uh, they'll come down. Oh, okay. So, first of all, um... I feel so bad for Yeswit because he had to repeat himself so many times. So many times, times, man. And, uh, you know, this was in the 1970s, so, you know, phones have been around for a little bit. But still, that that constant, like, what? 
Yeah, what did you the, say? It's the early days of 911, depending on which part of the country you were in. I think 911 was kind of introduced in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even considering this is, what did it say, 74? Yeah. It's still early. You oh, know? Okay. So who knows how it's set up, what's going on. Um, and then he's panicking. Yeah, he's uh, he's not having a good I, time. My heart goes out to all 911 operators. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. Uh, one of my good friends, he... Uh, he is a dispatch operator for the local uh, EMS and police, and he's it, it, it's it's rough on you. It's really I rough on I you. I can't imagine. I've listened um, to a lot of those on True Crime. Listened to the whole things, and especially they, when somebody you know calls through. Like he said, oh, that happened man, a couple times. And that's he's crazy. Like, I never thought about that. Like he had somebody call through who was like thinking about suicide and all this stuff. And oh no! Like he was on this phone. He was on the call with him for forty five minutes, and then uh, once the person was secure and everything, he got their information and found out it was, it was like one of his friends. Wow. And he just didn't realize it. That's uh, crazy. Now, uh, back to this. Within 10 minutes of Yeswit's call, Officer Kenneth Gregunski of the Amityville Village Police Department arrived at 112 Ocean Avenue. Now, by now, the men were grouped in the front yard trying to comfort Butch, who was pretty much sobbing uncontrollably. Right. At so point. at this point, uh, they just assumed someone came in and shot all of his family, and they're trying to console him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And th- this is where... This is where I think Butch gets a little theatrical. So in here, uh, this he's he's quoted, and this is actually uh, from The Sullivan High Hopes, page 16, which is a book about this. And it goes, uh, I'm not going to go back in that house, screamed Butch as he pounded his fist into the Electra. My mother and father are dead. So I feel like he's being a little theatrical there oh, for at sure. that point. Pounding on your car, stuff like that. Like, I've, I've been in situations, I watched my dad die. And that was very traumatic for me, but I didn't like pound my fist and be overdramatic when a true tragedy strikes you're kind of dumb you know he, here's what i will say yeah now, now i agree with you more on that end because once again i watch a lot of true crime and, yeah uh, even watching the uh now they see us on netflix about the uh, central park five you know they always get mad they always try to say why you know when say like a wife a husband dies and yeah. she's not She's not bawling her eyes out. They're like, there's something wrong with her. And I'm like, listen, everybody deals with grief differently. Dude, when my dad died, um, my mom was at the hospital with him. And now he he actually died on our back porch, but it wasn't pronounced yet. It didn't get pronounced at the hospital. My mom did not cry until like late, late, late that night after the hospital, after she home, told us the news. And I think everything finally settled. So in the moment, that, that shock... Your, your emotions don't know how to react. Even then, I mean, even days later, sometimes people just think that they need to go with their routine yeah. and because and they're not dealing, they're, they're burying it. Exactly. And I always hate that. There, there is no real way to react, but yes, this definitely it seems outlandish, especially with everything we know. Yeah, and <laughs> when we uh, actually have uh, DeFeo's statement that we'll be reading through of the incident, and... From the statement, you can already see, like, okay, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't right. line up with that. You're kind of repeating yourself here. But we'll get to that very shortly. Uh, so, finally, they were able to convince Butch to go back into the house. And when the men re-entered the house and sat to, uh, sat to fail down at the kitchen table, um, they inspected the scene and then immediately called police headquarters to report the murders. So, the police had come and then, like, kind of checked it out. And then we're like, okay, yeah, this this is something. We need to get this taken care of. Um, so detective and police officials came in swarms, followed by legions of reporters, curious locals, uh, all, of course, stunned by the news of these murders. For sure. <laughs> now, Suffolk County Detective Jasper Randazzo 
was the first to question Butch on the scene. That's a great name. Uh, dude, I love these Northeastern names. They're so <laughs> great. Like, when I was doing the research and typing, like, I was I was sipping on a whiskey, and I was just, like, saying their names over, and I'm like, Randazzo. Yeah. Such good names. <laughs> That's a good name. Uh, now, amongst his sobbing, Butch was able to tell Randazzo where he had been that day and how he found the bodies. When asked who he thought was responsible, Butch demanded that a so-paused... <laughs> so-paused... <laughs> So paused, we're keeping that in. Suppose. A so paused, supposed mafia hitman, Luis Fellini, was to blame. Wait, so this dude had a name? Yeah, this dude had a name. The mafia Man. guy had a name. And what's interesting is uh, Butch's family was connected to the mafia through mm-hmm. his dad. His dad owned like a car shop and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of mafia ties in there. So, Detective Gerard Gozaloff suggested that Ronnie be put into protective custody, Ronnie being Butch. Right. Um, and if indeed the killings were linked to organized crime, then he would be protected. So this here is DeFeo's statement of that day and what happened, and it is very long. So we'll go ahead and dive into that. Okay. I, Ronald DeFeo, being duly sworn, dep- deposes and says that I am 23 years old, Born September 26, 1951, in Brooklyn, New York. I live at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, New York, with my father, Ronald, about 43 years. My mother, Louise, 42 years. Uh, my sister, Dawn, born September 29, 1956. My sister, Allison, 13 years. My brother, Mark, about 11 years. And my brother, John, about 9 years. I work for my father, who is a service manager for Carl Brennett Buick. Uh, Yesterday I stayed home from work because I have stomach trouble. I usually work 8 to 5. My father went to work yesterday. That is Tuesday, November 12th, 1974. I usually ride with him. I woke up about 4 a.m. with stomach pains. I decided to stay up and go to work. When I woke up, I saw uh, Mark's wheelchair. He, uh, He got hurt playing football by the second floor bathroom. And... Had the toilet and heard the toilet flush. My mother and father have a bedroom on the second floor. Mark and John have a bedroom on the second floor. Allison has her own bedroom on the second floor. My my bedroom is on the third floor, and Don has a bedroom on the third floor. We uh, have a sheepdog that stays in the house. He stays tied inside the back door. Uh, the dog is a good watchdog, but he's always tied up. I decided to go to work when I woke up because I slept a lot uh, the day before. I often go in early and sleep in the car or hang around in there until it's time to go to work. Uh, They kid me at work about this. Today, my father didn't go to work because he had to take Mark to the doctor. Uh, He has a hip or leg injury. Today, I had a normal day at work. I actually got to work at 6.45. Uh, Vito Diorio uh, let me in. Then Dennis Lambert, who works there sometimes and lives right across the street uh, on the third floor, came in. I left work about 1 p.m. I often do this being my father's the boss, so I do as I please. Now that's just right there. That I do as I please. Come on, man. I went to uh, Mindy Weiss's house. I left about 3 p.m. I called my house several times and got no answer. I had called uh, from work at about 12, 12.30. I was calling because I wanted them to leave out my pay stubs for my probation officer. I, I'm on probation for having a stolen outboard engine also wanted them to leave out the keys for the house. 
Although I have a house key on my keys, I have my mother's keys for my car. Our keys are a constant mess. So even here in his deposition, you're starting to kind of see where he feels like he needs to over-explain everything. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's already a criminal. Yeah, I mean, I, he's he's on probation. Yeah. Um, something else, I'll go ahead and throw it in here. He has uh, he also has a drug problem. Uh, no surprise. He has mental issues. There's also, uh, it can't be proven because Allison was killed, but there's also rumor that him and his sister Allison had an ancestral relationship. So Game of Thrones. Yeah. Gotcha. That uh, his mother and father found out about, and in order to cover it up is the reason that he killed them all. But the way he did it was so... Yeah. It, it, was, it was almost ritualistic, the way he did it. All right, so we'll go back to this. Being I didn't have the stubs, I didn't go see my PO, Mr. Patterson, at the Ace Youth Center. When I left Mindy's and went to Henry's Bar, I got there about 3.10. I had a vodka and 7-Up. I had about 4 or 5. At about 4 p.m., I left and went to my friend Bobby Grieger's house. He wasn't home, so I went back to the bar. I was in no hurry to go home because I knew no one was home. I didn't want to break in because when I do, I get in trouble. My father hits me. I stayed in the bar till about 4.30 p.m. and went back to Bobby's. I saw him, but he was locked out, and we talked until his wife came. This was about 5.45 p.m. I stayed at his house and tried home again and called Mindy. I should add that before I went to Henry's, I, uh, the first time I stopped home, the two cars were there, but nobody answered. I didn't understand this. After leaving Bobby G's, I went back to the bar. Bobby K was there. I told him about my house. After a couple minutes, I decided to go home and break in. I went home. I went to the kitchen window. I forced the storm and screen, which were both down. The inside window wasn't locked as the lock has been broken. I climbed in. All the lights were out except one over a picture in the living room. This was on when I left. However, the front light outside on the statues was on. I turned this off when I left. I am positive of this because the woman to the south of us complains about me taking my car out through her driveway and I was blocked in. I shut the light so she wouldn't see me. When I came in, the dog barked. I put the light on over the kitchen sink. I went through the dining room and put two light switches on. This is one light at the bottom and one at the top of the stairs. I went up the stairs. The door to my parents' room was open. I had yelled when I first came in but got no answer. I had also tried all the doors to get in, but they were locked. I could see forms in my parents' bed. I pushed the wall switch on their bedroom, and I froze. My father was face down in the bed. He was naked on top. I could see a hole in his back. There was, there was blood by the hole. I think my mom was on her side. I ran downstairs and I ran to the front door. I turned the lock handle, which is above the doorknobs, and then the knob. I wish to say that the only way this door can be locked this way is from the inside or outside with a key. This was a double locked. It was only single locked when I left because I had no key. I jumped in my car and went to Henry's. I was crying. I told Bobby Kane about six people came back with me. They all went in but stayed outside. Somebody inside must have called because the police came. They asked me to go back in the house, but I never went upstairs. I further wish to add that when I went to Bobby G's house, I shot heroin in my right arm uh, that I bought for $20 from Bobby's wife, Pat. She on heroin, but he's not. Although I use heroin, I don't consider myself to be an addict. Throwing this dude's wife under the bus. Dude, he's like, all right, I'm about to get caught for this crime or something. I better, um, 
Here's a worse crime. I'm going to throw this worse crime out. <laughs> or what he probably thinks is the worst crime. Right. Oh, they do heroin. <clears throat> uh, murder? Not nah, heroin. Heroin. Heroin's bad, y'all. I don't consider myself an addict. Okay. I, I, it almost makes me wonder if he threw in the heroin part just in case he, he they do get around to finding out he did it. He could blame yeah. the drugs. I'm like, oh, I wasn't in the right state of mind. Was was that a thing back then? Like, if you can't prove that you're of stable mind? Sure, drugs were. That was all the thing back then was that okay. all the psychedelics and everything. Gotcha. I also wish to add that I left home for work about 4.45 a.m. and stopped at Sal's Luncheonette before going to work. I had an egg cream and bran muffin, not coffee. I now remember that when I left Mindy's, I tried my house, and I went to Bobby K's for a minute. He was sleeping, and I knocked on his window, uh, but he wouldn't come out. I now know that my whole family is dead, and I wish to relate about a man who I have trouble with. This man's name is Tony Mazeo. He is about 70 years old. He used to always come in where I work. Several years ago, his house burned down. He was a good friend of my father's. Him and his wife came to live with us. He had a key to our house. About two years ago, I had an argument with him at work. He used to come in where we work. Nobody could stand him. At this time, my father told me he was a professional motor, and I was and I had forced him to choose between me and Mazeo. Uh, this was after Mazeo had lived with us. I never got in another argument with him. They li- this guy knew he was a professional murderer and was like, yeah, he can live with me and my children. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if this guy was a professional murderer and mobster, he was protection probably for these Kuklins- shots. He probably let Kuklinski move in with no, him, too. Oh, jeez. Kuklinski's a whole other episode. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, several weeks ago, I got held up going to the bank at work. Arthur Bielan was with me last Friday, November 8th, 1974. I got into an argument at work with my father about the holdup. At this time, he brought up uh, Mazeo. The way he was talking, I knew he had spoke to Mazeo recently. He told me the friendship had turned bad over me. He told me, quote, I told Mazeo, if anything happens to my son, I'll kill you and your whole family. My father then said, I have to watch Ma and the kids now. I have also heard that Mazeo is a killer from other people. I heard my fr- my grandfather say it. I also know that a Mr. Lee told my father this. Some of my living relatives are Rocco DeFeo, Pete DeFeo, and is always uh, in the paper as mob connected. I have many other relatives. I have read the above and swear it is true. Man, so here's this dude, right? So he goes from blaming Louis Fellini to now blaming Mazeo. Yeah. Like, he's, he's just... He's trying to find it out. Yeah. He's just trying to find any... Mo- and, and, you know, at that time, that's when the mafia crackdown was really starting to happen, was, oh, yeah. you know, the 70s. And yeah. so... All right. Now, after uh, Butch had officially signed the statement, he was driven by homicide detectives George Harrison. Wait, from the Beatles? Yeah. I don't... I actually don't know that reference. The Beatles? I never listened to the Beatles. Don't make don't make the, this a thing. You didn't know that don't, George Harrison is a Beatle? Don't make this a thing. This is about DeFeo murders, not the Beatles. Lord. All right, <laughs> go on. Go on with your bad self. Now, uh, as I was saying, George Harrison and Joseph Napolitano to the 4th Precinct headquarters where he could be interviewed. Butch continued to insist that Fellini was connected with the murders, 
He explained that Fellini had lived with the DeFeo family briefly and knew of a certain area in the basement Butch and his father had stored a collection of cash and gems. Wait, is it Fellini or is it Matteo? See, that's the thing. He, he, he keeps blaming two of them. Yeah. He's like, like uh, he just, Fellini like, did it, not as Mazzeo. Constantly like, keeps getting them mixed up in the, with the same story. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Now, with continued questioning, Butch seemed more intense in his willingness to cooperate, admitting petty robberies he and his family had taken part in and feeling that they had pulled enough information from him the detectives allowed Butch to sleep while they returned to the scene of the murder. Now, investigators soon discovered boxes of Marlin 35 caliber ammunition in his room, which matched the murder weapon. Further questioning of Butch's friends revealed Ronnie was a quote-unquote gun fanatic. The pieces began to pretty much just naturally fall in place at this point. Now, the next morning, Gazaloff, Harrison, and Napolitina, do 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 Napolitano. Ah, uh, so uh, I just read something real quick. What's that? Uh, so this says that uh, Louis Louis Fellini, aka Tony Mazzeo. Oh. So maybe he used a different name while he was mobbing it up. Yeah. So he was like trying to be cool and like meant, like say the mob name, but then like said his real right. Name. So okay. that makes a little more sense. The website did not clear that up. No, not <laughs> at all. I had to look it up, but I mean, everything I know about DeFeo, I'm like. That also makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> so the next morning, uh, they went to wake up Butch, who was still asleep on a cot in the police file room. As Ronnie awoke, Harrison began to inform him of his rights. Butch became anxious. You don't have to do that. Get Fellini. He's the guy you want, not me. Detective Dennis Rafferty and Lieutenant Robert Dunn soon relieved Gazaloff and Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Napolitano, after hours of questioning. Rafferty continued to press at the discrepancies in Ronnie's version of the events and his involvement. As we all just heard, it's mm-hmm. very all over the place. Butch continued to lie, claiming that he had been awakened by Louis Fellini at gunpoint and made Fellini, according to him, made him accompany him as Fellini killed each member oh, of the family. Oh, Lord. So he's digging now yeah. a hole that's just getting deeper and deeper. He went even further to describe how he had discarded of the evidence in a sewer in Brooklyn. At the end of the investigation, Rafferty simply asked, Did it really happen that way? And Butch simply replied, No. It all started so fast. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Guilty! He so he's just guilty. like, this happened this I was eating some Cheerios. It was yesterday. There was no coffee there. No coffee. Let Dude. me tell you, there's usually coffee when you stop in at blah, blah, blah. And then everybody, yeah, I killed everybody. It just happened really fast. Well, when I was reading this, it reminded me of one of your stories when you start telling me a story. Like, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm hearing about the breakfast you had when you were 12, but it's somehow associated with this coffee you drank at 24. Well, I just, I loved your choice of uh, your DeFeo voice because it was very, and then I went to the bank, blah, yeah. blah, blah, because that's how I've always seen him. Yeah. Like, that's he's how so he just, just like... I don't know, and then I did this, and I don't know, and then I, uh, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, yeah, it's all true. Well, when I was reading it, I heard like a 13-year-old cheerleader in my head, is what I heard. <laughs> exactly. And then I went to the mall, and Susie normally goes to the mall on Wednesdays, but I went on Thursday because Kelsey went on Friday. Super Friday. Yeah. Uh, so some of the 
some little conspiracies about this. Yeah, I forgot I wanted to hear about some of those. So the first thing we'll uh, dive into is the paranormal aspect of this. Oh, even well, I guess so. I mean, they played that up a little bit in the book yeah. and movie. Now, uh, there is a book, um, I believe, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's about... It's about the DeFeo case. Is it the uh, the night the DeFeos died? I believe so. That's uh, Rick Osuna. Okay. And you can buy that on this website. And it is talked about in there that because of DeFeo's drug issues, he was essentially a night owl. He stayed up all night and watched TV and would talk to himself. They believe that when he was talking to himself, he was in the early stages of an oppression which, as we all know in the paranormal mm-hmm. world, becomes a possession. And this entity, which in the Amityville movie is brought out to be like this common entity that now is like in the Conjuring films and all that stuff. Sure, it's common some sort of there. demon. Yeah, some kind of common demon. Or, or played out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, also like it, it was originally conjured by like the murder of millions of natives. Yeah, like, it was things like that, yeah. some kind of demon that DeFeo had become pretty much buddy buddies with yep. and had... Uh, had coursed him into these murders. So that's the paranormal aspect of it. Uh, there's also the one I mentioned that him and his sister were having an essential relationship. Yeah, that one's crazy. I've never heard that one before. That That is the first one I heard when I was doing the research. That was the first one I came across. And what was happening is they were having this essential relationship. And in the 70s, even now, it's very taboo. It's very frowned upon and looked down on. But then... In a mob-like community, if you're connected with a mob and you find out two of your kids are, you know, loving on each other, that's that's an instantaneous like boom. You're you're kicked out of the mob. You lose those connections. You're targeted. Stuff like that. And uh, you know, back mob the mob then was very was very homophobic. Was against all these things. Oh yeah. So, in order to prevent his father from telling the mob about this, he decided to cut all the loose ends. So they say the reason that he ritualistically killed everybody in the same way, everybody was on their stomach, shot in the back of the head, was because that's that way the gun made the least amount of noise as possible. Another interesting fact about this... I was going to say, that that's always been my biggest question. The gunshots. Yeah, why didn't Nobody anybody heard hear the that? Gunshots. But, I mean, like, that's a common thing, though. I mean, mm-hmm. like, even in, like, um, Phil Hartman's death, yeah. like, the whole... She, she killed the whole family. Yeah. And it's like... And there's... From, from the case, there's no proof of him using any kind of silencer or muffler or anything like that. I mean, this gun... This gun that he used is a loud gun... When I was a teenager, we would go out in the woods with my friend's uncle and shoot a gun uh, what, like what? this. In the woods. shoot Just shooting guns out in the well, woods. We'd, we'd shoot water jugs and stuff like that. And these guns were loud and they had so much kick. They, like, would hurt your shoulders and stuff. Yeah. And I know, you know, back at this time, houses weren't as close together as they are now. But still, somebody's going to hear that. Yeah. As well, loud as those guns are. Yeah. Well, in Amityville, they weren't so far apart. The movie makes it look like they're far apart. But yeah. those houses were decently close to each other unless they were made after i don't know yeah from just my personal voyage there <laughs> your personal trip to amityville yeah yeah this this whole case um it's it's messed up now if the place was not haunted before this the stone tape theory 
that wood and stone, stone tape. You've never heard of the stone tape theory? Mm, I don't think so. Dude, the stone tape theory is that elements like wood and stone that are naturally occurring absorb and record these events. And then when the conditions are right, it can release the events again. Sure. So this is where we get our residual. Yeah, this is residual hauntings. Okay. I just finally found out what it's called. Th- I didn't know that. Yeah, it's called the stone tape theory. We are a little more amateur than I thought we were. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm learning stuff all the time when doing this research and all that. Um, and then if this isn't a residual haunting, if Amityville really is haunted, which we'll get into next week, this could have easily awoken something. For sure. DeFeo, if he's if he's chilling, you know, doing doing some kind of rituals or something, you know, appeasing this demon, then there's no telling what he could have brought in there. For sure. And we'll get into this into the haunting aspect, but something I learned during the um my Amityville horror documentary, mm-hmm. which was one of the kids from the uh Lutz's family, family right? yeah. that talked about how real it was for him and everything mm-hmm. was that one of the things is that uh, George was already massively into the occult and the paranormal and stuff. The father, right? Yeah. yeah. So he was already, and so, you know, there's a good opportunity he welcomed in that spirit, mm-hmm. that he wanted that. Yeah. You know, there's some talk about that. Yeah, there, there's talk that he wanted it, and that there's also talk that the reason he bought the house was because he knew there was a murder in it, yeah, but didn't tell anybody else in his family. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, I got it real cheap, honey. What a maroon! <laughs> what a maroon! Oh, look at this! What a steal! <laughs> oh, so this this was just insane. And you're right. Like I, I'm I'm looking right now, and there are so many other theories that are out there. Have oh, you heard yeah. about the theory of the seventh body? No, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, and so there's a, a documentary the film out there called Shattered Hopes, and it talks a lot about that. Uh, this says, um, during the final stages of researching the book that Osuna wrote, uh, he discovered a mysterious and, tr- and intriguing image embedded in the actual negative strips of the DeFeo crime scene photographs. Mm-hmm. And after receiving the reprint, Osuna was amazed that the photo seemed to show what would later be called the seventh body. Osuna had numerous theories about the image, including it was everything from a repositioned DeFeo to a commingling of crime scene evidence from another case, a red herring, if you will. Questions around the mysterious seventh body were left unanswered for several years. That was until Ryan Katzenbach undertook the extensive research for his docudrama Shattered Hopes, which I just talked about. Uh, him and his team continued where Osuna left off and spent years researching the DeFeo case and the Amityville house like no other documentary crew had done before. And since since the seventh body question has been answered, a link is provided. Oh, so, uh, yeah, you can actually go to the Shattered Hopes uh, website. I want the answer. Which is AmityvilleFilm.com. Uh, and I would read it, but, I mean, it's long. But they oh actually show the image and everything, and it looks very similar to Allison Defoe. Defoe. Oh, okay. Um, different, so maybe... but similar. It's kind of gross because uh, it's very graphic. Well, yeah, these are crime scene photos. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, there's this, you know, supposed seventh body. Um, I don't know, man. Like, it, there's just so much stuff. That's out there, and I, and you know I'm glad you brought this to me because it's like I've never dug deep into DeFeo. No, it's and uh, I know you've listened to podcasts yeah. and everything about this, and, and it's, it, it's because you don't think to because as we were talking about at the top of this podcast mm-hmm. is essentially Amityville 
is known for the haunting. For the uh, what was the paranormal couple that got involved? Uh, George Lutz, the Lutz fan. Oh, you're talking about Ed couple. and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, the Warrens, because this mm-hmm. was their first like Big. national case that yeah. got a lot of headlines and really put them on the map to what they would become. Uh, and we meant to do this episode a long time ago, shortly after the passing of uh, Lorraine Warren. And uh, it, I'm sad it took us so long to get the episode done, but I'm I'm glad we're here because. The Warrens themselves, if you take them away from this case, they have a lot of controversies. Oh, yeah. So them having controversies, getting mixed up with the Lutzes, and what is seen as a controversy, which is attached to a murder, which is seen as a controversy, Mm -hmm. leaves a lot of questions and little bubbles that we just want to pop. Yeah, I mean, he goes on, you know, he, he doesn't just confess it at first. He, you know, he goes on to say. Oh, he took a while. You know, and he's, he, he like, changed it constantly. He said he was one of three people that did mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> just all kinds of crazy stuff. Man. Yeah, there's the there was also another theory where him and his sister did it, Allison. And then uh, when they were done, he killed Allison. Yeah, uh, it says here um, that uh, Butch has always contended that his sister Dawn had a hand in the killings, even during the course of feigning insanity. Oh, Jesus. And how old was Dawn? Uh, I think she was the older one. Okay, so I had that mixed up. So everything I just said, take it back. Yeah, Allison was young. I think she was nine. They did... Allison and DeFeo did not have an incestual relationship. It was Dawn and DeFeo that had the incestual relationship. Yeah, Dawn okay. was older. Allison was tiny. Wow, wow. Okay, Allison was 13. All right. So, uh, so yeah, redacted. Redacted. Debunked. So uh, it goes on. So uh, let me see here. Is there two pages in this or just one? Okay. 17 pages. Says uh, this is more about that, about Dawn having a hand in it. Uh, they were asked, says, Ronnie, were you using drugs that day? And he says, no, sir. He says, had you used drugs before that day? He said, no, I didn't use drugs. No, sir. Not the kind of drugs you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he says, are you taking uh, medication? He says, I was taking medication from the drugstore that my mom gave me, not your street drugs. <laughs> Even though in his statement he says he used heroin. Yeah, that day right, because it, it constantly changes. Yeah. And so at one point he says, well, I remember somebody. I told you I blacked out or fell asleep. Somebody came down there and started kicking me. And when I got up, the TV <laughs> was off, the lamp was off, the room was dark, and all I know is somebody was standing there with a rifle in their hands and the hands of that person had were black. Ronnie, who is this person? It was my sister. Who? Dawn. That's who I thought it was, to be quite honest about it. And he's, he's also claimed in other statements that it was the demonic entity that brought him the gun. <laughs> Good God, yeah. man. I think, he's, I think he passed away. I don't think he's alive anymore. Uh, I know he was still alive for quite a while. So, um, But here, here's another little... Uh, tidbit. This comes from uh, the medical uh, person here. Yeah. Uh, they so it says um, this illustrates the injuries discovered on Butch DeFeo five days following his interrogation. To cover their tracks, the police and the district attorney concocted a story that Butch and his father had a fight on November 11th in the basement of the DeFeo house. He's still alive, by the way. Yeah, that's what I thought. However, testimony at trial proved to be less than credible for the prosecution's needs. So this said, 
Uh, at approximately 11.48 a.m. on November 15th, police officers conducted a search of the waters at the end of the Amityville dock, and a 35 caliber Marlin rifle was found at the position shown on the diagram, which we talked about. Yeah. Uh, and then it says, on November 18th, 1974, the, de- the defendant was examined by the Suffolk County Jail by a jail physician. Uh, the findings included a subsiding bruise on the abdomen, a subsiding bruise on the left leg, a healing abrasions of a spinal area. The bruises and abrasions were between four to seven days old. On the late afternoon of November 11th, the defendant and his father engaged in a fight and a physical altercation in the basement of the DeFeo home. Mm-hmm. So they were using some rough tactics, you know, that, and that's the thing about this is like, I know there's, there's more to the story and there are people that defend him still. Oh yeah. Which is crazy. Um, cause he had it, like a whole fan base. Oh yeah. He has a huge fan base. And, uh, he had to sign something when he, yeah, he had to sign something when Amityville started becoming a thing, the stories and the books and all that, that would said that he would get no royalties whatsoever for his name. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty common thing. Yeah. Um, because I, there are some people in jail who committed heinous crimes that get royalties because they never had to sign anything. And like it, Well, and it also depends on which state. There are some states that you are not allowed to make any money while you're in prison. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I, I highly recommend checking out this book, The Night the DeFeos Died by Rick Osuna. Uh, and we're going to get into next week into the horrors of Amityville with the Lutz family moving in and the media sensation yeah. uh, but I want to tag I know the most recent Amityville movie that came out uh, is about the DeFeo murders I haven't seen it so I don't know how cheesy it is or whatnot. but it deals <laughs> is, it, is it a straight to TV movie no it was in the theater oh, okay um, and it deals with you know the possession and everything happening to him from that mm. angle uh, b- but him. So I'm, I'm very interested in checking that out. The other interesting thing that I love that's very, very interesting, and they bring this up in the movie and the book, is it how similar George Lutz and Ronnie DeFeo looked. Uh, they looked huh. very, very similar. That's interesting. Yeah, so uh, just a very interesting thing, and we'll get to that. But we got to get to our listener story. Listener story. We are on our final story from Naoma of WCHQ's Country Roots. She has one more story for us. And uh, then in uh, two weeks, we're going to have her on, and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to be interviewing her. You guys have heard some of her stories. Well, that's only the top of the pile of stories that she has. Tip, tip of the ice mountain. Tip of the ice would. mountain. So <laughs> here is uh, Naoma's story. And remember, email your stories to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you, Naoma, for all these great stories. So here's your last one. My name is Naoma, and I've seen some stuff. So my next story goes to just a couple weeks ago. I was over at my mom's house, so was Mitch, and we were being taught how to sew by my mom because we were doing a music video for our band Lavender and Thieves, and we were doing a period piece for the music video, which is extremely difficult to find costumes that match what you're needing, so we were making them. So my dad's sitting in the chair next to us, and he looks at me, and he go—he looks at all of us, really. And he goes, I'm going to go take a shower because I'm going to go get ready for bed. And we were like, okay, that's great. Have a good shower. He goes upstairs. We're sitting there sewing, and I see my dad walk through the kitchen. And Mitch sees him, and my mom hears him, and he's, like, going into the kitchen. He's getting some tea. And I say out loud, oh, it looks like dad's going to go get some tea. And I go back to sewing 
and this is like a split second later, the shower upstairs turned on. There is no way that my dad could go from being in the kitchen to one second later being upstairs and turning on the shower. Who was it that went into the kitchen? We don't know, but we all saw it and heard it. I got the best look. The visual reminded me of my dad. He had a white t-shirt on and charcoal gray sweatpants. But the way that he walked was weird for my dad. He walked with his arms straight down in front of him, his head forward, kind of slouching. And he walked in a way that was, it was almost like he was beelining for something. Whereas when my dad walks, he kind of walks with his arms swaying to the side and his head up. And he's always looking around at things. This was very different. Um, and it was just strange. We don't know who it was that we saw, what it was that we saw for that matter. And I think that that was the first time that Mitch had ever actually seen a ghost. All Mitch ever says about that, uh, that situation is, that was weird. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's told me that being around me has, I guess, made him more open. But those are some of my ghost stories. I've got a thousand more. If you want to hear more, I'll tell you more. Shower ghost. <laughs> that, that, yeah, well, I mean, was it was the shower the ghost or the person walking through the room the ghost? Haunted right? showers. You, <laughs> haunted, haunted showers. showers, man. I want it to be a haunted shower so much. I'm waiting for Old Spice to have a commercial like that. You're... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, send your stories, fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. We will take any and all, even if there are a few lines, we can bunch a couple together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, of course, want to say a big thank you to WCHQ as well as the Destination Nation Network. Uh, you can find all of these episodes there at WCHQFM.com or DestinationComics.com slash DNN. Uh, and on that, I think it's time to get out of here, man. Hey, for night night. It's time for night night. So on that, this has been Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side. And this has been Brad. Hold those blankets. <gasps> Extra tight. Good night, folks. <laughs>